I've been kind of running around like a chicken with its uh, certain parts cut off. And uh, anyways, uh, the reason being is our internet is down. So Comcast apparently is reporting a whole bunch of outages today. So that unfortunately means that uh, for those that normally stream our services, they're going to be out of uh, luck today. Um, so that is unfortunate. So be praying that the Lord would fix that quickly so that we can get on the stream again. But a good reminder on why it's so great to actually come to church, right? Because uh, you guys aren't going to miss out on anything. We're going to have a normal service. So that's wonderful. Are you guys excited about Christmas season and Christmas coming up next week? Or this week, I guess. Yeah. I, I, I always appreciate the kids clapping. That's awesome. Are you guys excited about maybe opening up some presents this week? <laughs> wonderful, wonderful. Well, the Christmas season is obviously upon us, and we're so grateful that you are here, that we're going to be celebrating our King coming into this world. I have a few announcements for you guys, and one of them is, is that the Lord blessed us in providential timing. So if you were watching on the stream last week for our His Little Feet service, which was amazing, uh, you may have noticed that uh, we were getting some glitches with the camera, that every few seconds or so it was kind of cutting off. Well, we worked really hard this week, and we were able to pinpoint the issue. And in God's timing, in the week before, the Lord blessed us with a grant to be able to purchase a new camera. So we have that new camera and all the new equipment up and running, and we're really excited about it. And of course the internet's down, but we're really excited about it because that means that when the internet goes back up live again, we'll be able to have even better quality through our video and audio for the service. So we hope to uh, mitigate those issues in the future. So we definitely need to give God a round of applause though. For just how he provides. I mean, how cool is that, that the Lord sends us this opportunity to go and buy a new camera, um, and then in the same week, our other camera breaks. I mean, that's just God's timing right there. So I think God's amazing in doing that. Um, another announcement that I have for you guys is our Christmas Eve service is coming up this week on Christmas Eve, December 24th. And that's going to be a candle lighting service. You'll want to definitely get here a few minutes early so that you can enjoy some hot cocoa and cider. And I encourage you to invite a friend and to bring a family member if you have people visiting you in town and bring them with you to enjoy our Christmas Eve service. It's going to be a wonderful time of listening to Christmas music, doing scripture reading, having a candle lighting time, as well as a shorter sermon. So pray for me that I can make sure that can happen. <laughs> but that is, that is in the plan. So that's going to be at 3 p.m. on Christmas Eve. I have a few announcements um, that Barb actually wrote in to me today. And one of them is, is that we're going to have free Christmas wreaths uh, downstairs. So if you don't have a Christmas wreath or you would like an extra Christmas wreath or you want to gift a Christmas wreath to somebody... Um, now's the perfect time to do that, so find your way downstairs and grab a Christmas wreath for yourself or someone else. Um, another announcement we have is we are going to be doing Christmas caroling next week on Sunday. So if you would like to be a part of that, uh, you can forward any questions that you have over to Barb at the piano right here. And I think you, we all know Barb very well. So that's going to happen next week on Sunday 
at 1.30 p.m. And I think, it, correct me if I'm wrong, you guys are heading over to Linda, right, to do some caroling for Linda. So uh, you'll definitely want to be a part of that in, in bringing some joy into Linda's life during this Christmas season. And Linda is one of our dear congregants who unfortunately doesn't get to uh, come to the church very often, so I know this caroling will brighten her day. Uh, the next thing that we have going on is we're going to have a special service on December 27th, and that is going to be called a reflection service, where we take kind of inventory of our lives and share the things that the Lord has, has done in us and through us. So we're going to be giving you guys more information on that in the bulletin. And as a way of reminder, if you're not signed up for our bulletin, the easiest way to do that would be to go to peacecolorado.com, head towards the bottom of that page, and simply fill out your information, and you'll automatically be put on our bulletin list. All right, well, we are now going to continue in worship, and I'd like to invite Jessica up here to lead us in song. Oh, we're on the internet. Thank you for praying. Good morning. If you would all please stand with me as I, we start our worship off today.
We're going to continue now in our worship service with our time of giving. Again, I want to give a thanks to each and every single one of you for being a cheerful giver. We have a lot planned for 2021, and we depend on your generous gifts to be able to do that. We're so excited for what God has in store for our church. And just even being able to do these little simple things like being able to afford and and uh, pay for these devices that we need to maintain our stream. So a, a, a big thank you from behalf of the church to each of you who make this possible. Let's go ahead and pray for our offering and our tithes and offering that we're about to receive and ask the Lord's blessing. Father, I thank you so much that you honor cheerful givers. Lord, that in your word we so often learn the importance of being able to support your kingdom efforts, not just in the things that we do, that is important, as well as the things that we say, that is also important, but the way that we give our resources to you. Lord, I do pray that um, you would bless the giving of these gifts, both, Lord, to our church that will use these resources to help advance your kingdom, but as well as the person who gives, Lord, that you would continue to just bless their lives and that you would multiply the blessings that they have in their lives. As I know your scriptures remind us that you have the ability to take things and make it tenfold. So I do pray for that, Lord, over this offering, that we would be able to use these offerings and these tithes to make your kingdom known here in Colorado, and around the world. We thank you, Lord, and it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. I generally try not to ask you guys to sit, stand, sit, stand, but I just feel like we can't do any of these songs seated today as we prepare for this Christmas season. So if you'll join me and stand in singing Angels We Have Heard on High.
may be seated. This morning, our scripture reading comes from John, 1 John 4, 10. This is love, now that we loved God, but that he loved, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as a atoning sacrifice for all of our sins. Hello all, good morning. So we took some reflection about the candlelight of love and I was thinking we were just discussing about it and um, I think this year was hard for everybody. I think everybody was affected and I talked to some friends and family and everybody was saying like, oh, it's so hard this Christmas. Like I feel like there's no reason to celebrate Christmas and everything. And I was just thinking like how us like as Christians we have a reason to celebrate and all the meanings of Christmas and how love is one of my favorite meanings and um, we encourage you to just try to show someone a way to love this Christmas even like being, being like baking Christmas cookies and giving to a neighbor or showing gratitude to someone or calling um, a friend or a um, relative from your family that you don't talk that much or just like show a little love because we are the light of this world and we are able to show the real meaning for Christmas. So yeah, that's what we talked about. And we, um, we're still like um, trying to figure out a tradition that we can do for Christmas since we got married last year and then we had our first Christmas tree this year. So it was very special when we put up the tree and thought about it. And we always try to do um, some devotionals uh, every day. And yeah, we were doing some devotionals about um, this in December, about the Advent and all the candle lightings. And it was very special to always remember the meaning of Christmas that it's, our, it's the Christ, our Savior, that came to save us and to show the real reason for Christmas. Our service has now come to a very important rhythm for us that happens each week, and that is our time of congregational prayer, uh, where we get to express with one another as well as anybody listening on the stream the things that we're giving praise to the Lord for, as well as the things that we would like to petition. So at this time, I invite you to share those things that are on your heart. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great prayer. Absolutely. And you know, my wife, 
she's been thinking about that a lot too. And you might have heard the neighborhood app. So she's been trying to go on the neighborhood app and find people that uh, might not be able to afford gifts for their children. And so one way that she's tried to keep Christ in Christmas this, this year is just blessing people with gifts, specifically children who might not be able to get one because of just all the issues that have been going on this year that have prevented some people from having the same means that they normally have. That's a great prayer request. Thank you. Anyone else would like to share a praise or a prayer request? Yeah. Yeah, safe travels, absolutely. That people wouldn't get sick, that people would just be healthy and be able to enjoy the company of their loved ones. Absolutely, that's wonderful. Yeah. Yeah, Tata, we are all happy that you're here. How is your back feeling? A little better. Okay, well, we'll keep praying for you, but we definitely give God praise that you're here. Yes, absolutely. If you didn't hear Tata, she said thank you for everyone who prayed for her this week and asking a blessing. Yes. Oh, yes, absolutely. Yes, right. You know, I didn't, I didn't get to put the video up on Proclaim today, but I'll have to show you guys that. Um, if you didn't know, after the service concluded, his little feet came up to me, specifically Mike, the one that directs it, and he said, hey, I heard that Ed Miller passed away and that you guys had the memorial service this past weekend. Um, could we bless Ethel by driving over there and singing to her? So it was kind of a last minute effort, but we took the whole entire touring bus with all the children and went outside of Ethel's balcony and the kids got to sing several songs to her. So I actually put those on our church Facebook page if you had never had a chance to see it. And what a beautiful thing that was. And I'm so grateful for his little feet and their ministry and their kindness. That's a, that's, thank you for sharing that and reminding us of that. Does anyone else have anything that they would like to share? I'm going to go ahead and look at the stream right now. Uh, Chris writes in, Praise that I caught the reaction to the newest anti uh, an antibiotic that I am now allergic to <laughs> when I did that. Okay, so apparently um, Chris found out that he was allergic to an antibiotic, and uh, we definitely praise God that you didn't have a more severe reaction. Serena says, I'm praising God for safety on this trip and the great time I'm having with my son. So that's definitely a praise. Serena, we appreciate you tuning in. And I obviously have a praise that I'd like to share, and that's that I'm upright and vertical. <laughs> so you might have seen in the bulletin that I got hit by a car. Um, and uh, as a pedestrian, <laughs> so I'm very grateful um, that the Lord uh, has, has kept me well enough to be able to walk and be here with you guys, and that I was even able to do the stream last week. Yeah, yeah, thank you, thank you. God, God has been good to me. So with recognizing all these praises and prayer requests, uh, let's go to our Lord. 
Father, we thank you so much for how good you are to us, that even in the midst of storms of life, Lord, you come through, and that you do deeply love each and every single one of us. I pray, Lord, for all of the things that were spoken today, whether it be for a blessing for those families that are without, the thankfulness that we have for people that are in attendance today that had to go through surgeries and just everything else in between, like his little feet, and just the fact that you are with us today, Lord. We thank you for all of those things, and we bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You could stand with me as we sing Away in a Manger.
seated. The story of Christmas is a story about Christmas. The story of Jesus is that um is one um that Jesus Jesus birthday and that's it. This was born on a day where it was very snowy and they called it Christmas. Jesus is born and their parents, his parents can't find a place to stay so they have him in the barn and was born and then that is how Christmas started. Unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. Can we give a round of applause for our kids? Some of them ended up leaving before that part, but we'll have to let them know how good of a job they did when you see them again. Well, Merry Christmas. That was a little weak, guys. I know you hear happy holidays a lot, but let's try that again. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. <laughs> that's, that's much better. That's much better. Well, I'm very excited about our series today. I'm looking forward to preaching to each of you as we continue with what is now our last Advent series message. Um, today, specifically, we're talking about love. So if you were here last week, you would have seen us light the joy candle. And this week, we wrote the candle that represents love. So we read out of a very important passage of Scripture from the book of First John. But before we jump in now to the rest of our series, let's go ahead and go to the Lord with a word of prayer. Father, we thank you so much for this time together. Lord, I do pray for the camera equipment <laughs> that's up there, um, that it would continue to work and work well. Um, and Lord, that you would bless this time uh, together that we have as we try to live out your kingdom here on earth. We're grateful for everything that you're doing in and through us. May you bless this time as we speak about the season of Advent. Uh, a special prayer to our camera equipment going upstairs. I think it's overheating on us, is it? 
Okay. Well, those of you that are on the stream, hopefully you're still hearing my voice, and hopefully that's going well. It wouldn't be a Sunday service without some technical difficulties, right? So uh, hopefully we'll get that resorted soon if you're watching us on the stream, and we'll get back and up and going on a video feed. But you should still be able to hear us, so that's good. All right. Well, as I said before, we are in 1 John 4.8, and before we really hit into the meat of today's message, I need you guys to, to realize that I have a lot of pages in front of me. So we have a lot of work to accomplish. I don't know if we're going to get to it all, but God is going to do something good today, and I'm excited to preach what I have in front of me. Um, you know, this week as I was uh, putting my son to sleep, just the other day, um, I thought about something, and I felt like the Lord showed me a picture of, of, of a truth. And uh, I try not to use Theodore too much as a sermon illustration, but I felt like this week it applied. And specifically, I was going upstairs, and I was trying to put him down for nap time. And Theodore has just entered into this season now where uh, he does not like going down to sleep at all. So he'll wake up on all the hours of the night or during nap time, he'll cry. And we're trying to be tough parents and not answer him every single time he calls for us, which is exceptionally hard for my wife. For me, I can just sleep through it all, no problem. But, <laughs> but for my wife, it's been really hard. So it was kind of interesting, though, because when I put him down for a nap, he was crying and crying and crying, and I was letting him cry. But routinely, I would go up there and remind him, hey, buddy, it's time to nap. And I would tell him that everything's okay. Mom and dad are, are here. It's just time for you to nap. So on one particular moment, I remember going up there, and I held him for a second in my arms. And I was holding him in my arms, and he started to calm down from his crying. And it was really interesting because as he was calming down from his crying, all of a sudden he noticed that there was a noise in his room that he hadn't heard before. What noise, you might ask? Well, specifically, we have this little music box for him or this sound machine for him that while he sleeps, he gets to hear little lullabies. And it just dawned on him that this music was playing. And I thought that that was a pretty interesting picture about how sometimes in our life we can be so loud, we can be so distracted by our own voice or the things that are going on around us that we fail to hear what God is trying to say to us or the beautiful sound that is being made in our room. And I think that is, is a truth, right? That sometimes we can be so distracted that we fail to see what God is doing or what God is saying to us because we're making a loud noise and not listening and allowing our hearts and minds to be silent for the Lord to speak into our lives. Well, I think today in this message, as we talk about love, I think a part of this message examines that reality. The reality that we need to listen to the Holy Spirit. That we need to examine ourselves and specifically look at the Lord and what he has to say in us and what he is doing around us. So as I said earlier, we're going to be in 1 John chapter 4. 
For those of you that don't know, 1 John chapter 4 was specifically written for the people of Ephesus. Paul ended up journeying around. Who are the people of Ephesus? Well, this is written by John, but Ephesus was a church plant by the person of Paul. And Ephesus at this time was going through some struggles. There was bad theology that most likely was coming up from the church within, and that was leading to certain issues within their community. Funny how we still see that today, right? Where we see bad theology coming, trying to make its way into the church. So John writes this letter to them, trying to address some of these issues. And if you have your Bibles out, go ahead and look at verse 8. We read verse 10 today, but we'll actually be in verses 8 through 12. So verse 8 says this, whoever does not love does not, what's the next word? Know God, because God is love. I'm going to read that one more time to you because this is so important. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. I want to specifically highlight one of the words from this scripture reading, and that's specifically the word know, okay? Today's message is about love, but there's something in particular that I think the Apostle John wants you to pick up on, and that is this word, no. You see, we read it, and we don't have a lot of words in our own vocabulary for knowing something. You just say you know it. But in Greek, the word used here is gnosko, and I'm going to put that word on the screen so you can see it. Gnosko. And this is an interesting word that John decides to use here. You see, this word does translate to the word know, meaning to know somebody, right? To, to, to be able to understand something or someone. But many of you realize that you can know something in different forms, right? You can have head knowledge about something, right? where you maybe know about it, but you might not have experienced it, okay? It's the difference between knowing something in theory and maybe knowing something in practice. It's like if I were to study about cars my whole entire life, and it's funny how when I say cars, Phil's head always perks up. <laughs> it's, it, it's like if I were to study about cars my whole entire life, but I never, you know, slung a wrench and worked on one. Do I really know what it's like to work on cars if I just know about it through what's up here? Not really. There's another aspect to it, right? So similarly, the word that John is using here, gnosko, he's talking about an experiential knowledge of God. And that makes a very important difference. You see, it really pains me when people try to paint Christianity in a negative light, or more specifically, when people start to criticize our faith and our King Jesus. 
Because you'll maybe hear something, right, where someone says something to the effect that, oh, Christianity is just a religion of rules, or Christianity is a bigoted religion that just hates on people, or Christianity is a religion of judgmentalism, where people are just judging people for the way that they live. And when I hear that, it offends me. Not because I'm easily offended, rather because I realize that that person does not gnosko our Lord. That that person does not have experiential knowledge of what it means to live in fellowship with God. So I realize that what they're saying is absolutely wrong. It's similar to maybe how Maybe you know a particular person, right? Maybe it's your husband or your wife or a friend or a mother and a father, and that person gets slandered for a certain reason. And in your mind, you know that, that what, what is being spoken of that individual is not true. Why? Because you intimately and experientially know that person. So when I hear people say things against our Lord, it bothers me because I know that they don't truly know Him the way that I know Him. Now, I'm touching on something that is very important to today's message. And as much as I'm pointing at the criticism that happens oftentimes outside of the church, I'm speaking to a reality that that sometimes exists within the church. And that is this concept of love. You see, love is a huge narrative for John. Why does John use love as a constant narrative? Well, for one, if we were to read 1 Peter 4.8, we learn that love covers a multitude of sins. My first point that I'm going to make today is that love fulfills the law. Love fulfills the law. Let's take a look at a few verses from Romans that are going to be put on the screen, hopefully. Romans 13. Hopefully I put that on the screen. If not, I'll just flip there and read to you. All right, I'm guessing I didn't put that one up today. So Romans 13, 8 through 10 says this. Let no debt remain outstanding except the continuing debt to love one another. For whoever loves others has fulfilled the law. The commandment, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet, and whatever other commands there may be are summed up in this one command, love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor, therefore love is the fulfillment of the law. Church, I say a lot up here, and I say a lot up here is very important, (laughs) Church, this is really, really important. This is incredibly important. In fact, this might be one of the most important things for you to 
fully comprehend and understand. Because if you get this right, that means that you can live more effectively for Christ in his kingdom. That means that you can literally find out the method through which you can fulfill God's call and God's laws for your life. Scripture is literally saying that love is the fulfillment of the law. How does this make sense? Well, let me, let me give you a little bit of an example here. If I love an individual, right, if I'm going to fold back time and think about when I first met my wife and I was starting to fall for her, of course I didn't want to admit that. But when I think about those moments especially, or the love that I have for my child or my mother or whomever, and you could think of somebody in your own life hopefully right now, when you love that individual, you want to do good things for them, right? You want to be kind to them. You want to protect them. You want to say nice things to them. You want to think of ways to be able to put a smile on their face and to express your great love that you have or that's growing up in you for that individual. What are, what are your natural thoughts? These are your natural thoughts. To love them, to protect them, to care for them, to encourage them. What are the thoughts that don't come to mind? To hurt them, to cheat on them, right? To steal from them. If you start doing those things, you don't really love that individual, right? In, in fact, you might even be able to say that what you're showing to that individual is more of an expression of hate than love. So you see, when you love someone, your natural disposition and response is to be a good person, to do right by that individual. So the reason why both Paul and John are honing in on this concept of love is because they realize that love is the greatest motivator that you can have to be able to fulfill the good things that God has called you to. Amen? So this is why it is so important for us as individuals to do what? To guard our hearts. Because we want, our, we want to allow our hearts to remain pure so that we can stay focused on the Lord and everything that He is calling us to do because we realize that when we guard our hearts and allow our love to be filled by Christ and God and everything that He has for us, that we can live out lives that literally fulfill the laws of the Lord. You see, the only true problem that we have with the law comes from sin. We hear the law, we hear rules when we hear the law. 
And immediately we start thinking about how can I get to the edge of this rule without breaking it, right? I see my son starting to live this out. (laughs) And it bothers us. But if we think about it more closely, then what you should be able to see when you read Scripture is not a set of rules No, you shouldn't see that. Instead, you should see a way of being able to maintain and protect the love that you have for both your Lord and those that God has called into your life. So when I see things like, don't covet, when I see things like, don't lust, when I see don't envy and all the other things that can come to mind, I just don't, I don't think uh, about God wanting to reign on my parade. Rather, I see the Lord trying to protect and guard my heart and make it pure and define for me what, what it means to love an individual. So it's a beautiful, if anything, it's a beautiful circular kind of motivation where you yield your heart open to allow it to love an individual or love your God, and at the same time, too, you temper it with, through what you read in Scripture so that you hopefully don't define your love in wrong terms. And I'm going to uh, hit on that a little bit more in the sermon. How do we define our love? Well, I'm talking about it a little bit right now. We define it through what we see in Scripture, but more importantly, we define it by who we see in Scripture, and I'll get to that in a minute. One of the things, though, that we need to come to terms with is the reality that sin is the corrupter of all good things, even the corrupter of love. It's pretty common for pastors or at least for you to sit in a church service and hear the word sin, although unfortunately I've seen some churches hold back on talking about the reality of sin and the wickedness of sin and how dangerous sin can be for your life. And it bothers me to know that some people have, have um, undermined the, the, the dangerous nature of what sin can be to this world, let alone your own life. But one of the definitions I love about sin comes from a special person in history, to me at least, and that is John Wesley's mother. If you don't know who John Wesley is, John Wesley brought revival to the United Kingdoms. He served in, uh, the, in America as well, but he rode 250,000 miles on horseback because he was motivated to make a change in this world. Now, I don't even know if I've driven 250,000 miles on a car, let alone bucking around on a horse. I mean, this guy probably had legs of, or at least buns of steel <laughs> to be able to handle that. Wesley, through the power of the Holy Spirit, was key in bringing revival to the United Kingdoms and for really starting a a, a rebirth of evangelical movement, not just in the United Kingdom, but in the world. And it was through many of his efforts that we still see the effects that he has today. 
you know, this concept of small groups, of allowing people who might not necessarily be ordained ministers to lead home fellowship groups and to disciple people. That all comes out of John Wesley's thinking. Hey, even the phrase, I agree to disagree, was coined by John Wesley. This titan of faith had an incredible mother, and as it's often said, right, behind every great man is a great woman. Well, in the case of John, it was definitely his mother. And when John, seeking out his mother's wisdom on what it means to sin, listen to the words that she writes, and I have them up on the screen for you so that you can take notice of it. This is what she says. Take this rule. Whatever weakens your reason, impairs the tenderness of your conscience, obscures your sense of God, or takes off your relish of spiritual things. In short, whatever increases the strength and authority of your body over your mind, that thing is sin to you, however innocent it may be in itself. Wow. (laughs) What a powerful definition of sin. And I know this might seem a little up there intellectually, but take time for these words to strike you. Basically, what Susanna Wesley is saying is she's saying whatever takes away your focus, your resolve, your determination to do the things that you know God has called you to do, that thing is a sin, however innocent it may be. And we need to realize that certain struggles for each of us can be different depending upon the person, right? For instance, for some of us, believe it or not, Food can be a sin, and the way that we eat can be a sin, and that might not be a struggle for some in this room, but it could be a struggle for others. And what does that come out of? That comes out of an inability to be able to say no to something. That is what gluttony is, right? Being able to not be able to say no to something and realize that there are limits through which you need to stop. And look, I can hit on so many other issues. I'm not trying to pick out one and make it elevated above the other. But the reality is, is that each and every single one of us can read this and immediately think of something, right? That takes away our our resolve and weakens our reason and, and impairs us in such a way that we aren't focused on the Lord in the way that we should be. It could be by lusting for a life that we don't yet have, a car that we want to drive, a home that we want to own. But we need to be careful. We need to be careful and we need to realize that sin can corrupt what God is calling us to. And that we need to also be careful with the way that we love. I want to get back now to the verses in John, and I'm going to read for you some scriptures that Abel will put on the screen. 
and it's John 9 and 10. John 9 and 10. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. Verse 10. This is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. I want you to take notice of a couple things in this verse. This verse seems very repetitive, right? Verse 9 and 10 are kind of similar if you look at 9 and 10. Yet there is subtle differences in each. And what I think John is trying to do here is he's trying to build an argument. Not an argument in the way that we think about it, but an argument, or, or, or in the popular way, but an argument in the sense that he's trying to build a case. So, specifically, look at verse 8. It says this, God is love. Now, I'll put this, these slides up too. God is love. Verse, verse 9, this is how God showed his love. If we don't have them, that's okay. You can leave it as it is, Abel. So, it says, verse 8, God is love. Verse 9, this is how God showed his love. And then verse 10, what does it say? This is love. So it says, God is love. This is how God showed his love. This is love. What is John doing here? He is creating a definition of love that can be defined not only by words, but by actions. Right? God is love. This is how he showed his love. That's what love is. So what is John saying specifically? Okay, God is love. God showed his love through his work on the cross. What does the cross represent for us? The fact that God loved us so much that he gave his only son, that he took the penalty of sin onto his life, that he was able and willing to take every single thing that we struggled with, every punishment that was stored up for us, and he was able to put that upon himself and take what was deserving of us onto him, and he was willing to do that. And then John is saying, that is what love is. That is how you define love, through what Jesus did on the cross. The Lord is calling. <laughs> so if God, so if going back to what Paul said, if love fulfills the law, then what else could we say about that? That Christ fulfills the law. You see, I believe, and this is my second point today, that Jesus provides the perfect portrait of God's love. Jesus provides the perfect portrait of God's love. Before marrying Michaela, we did what was called premarital counseling. Maybe, you know, just, just kind of curious, you guys ever do premarital counseling before getting married? Okay. Sometimes it varies. Sometimes you do a few weeks. 
Sometimes you do four. I'm a slow learner, so I did 16 weeks of premarital counseling. <laughs> it didn't help. <laughs> um, but I remember specifically in one of the classes that I was taking that they said, in order for marriage to work, you need to be 100%. And the other person needs to be 100%. Now, I'm kind of a nerd, right? You probably have learned that by now. And I was very into mathematics at this time. And I was writing these things down, and I was saying to myself, this does not mathematically make sense. You need 50% and 50%. Then you get 100. 100% plus 100% is not mathematically correct. But I've learned through the wisdom of my wife. <laughs> <laughs> that numbers can add up in different ways sometimes. <laughs> and you see, when you approach life 50-50, what that can mean at times is I'm not going to give my 50 until you give your 50. But God is not calling us to do that in marriages, right? And he's not calling us to do that in the relationships that we have with him either, or the people or things that he has called us to. God is calling us to give 100% of ourselves regardless of the other individual's response. Now, don't get me wrong, that's not trying to set you up for abusive relationships. But what it does mean is that we don't necessarily look at the other individual's response. We do what God has called us to do. And we see that in Jesus' life, right? Up until the moment that he died on the cross, there was really nothing that we did as individuals to deserve that. If we were going off the 50-50 metric, then Jesus wouldn't have gone on the cross. But you see, Jesus was giving himself 100%, regardless of what we would give. When you ask a child how much do you love me? You know, it's really cute, and they go like this, right? Or if you ask them back, I would always go, this much, and I would try to stretch my arms as far back as I could, which kind of hurts right now from that car accident. <laughs> but an image that has always stuck with me is that when you ask Christ how much he loves you, I always think about him saying this much. And just think about him being pinned to that cross and the great love that he has for each and every single one of us. The last point that I have today, and I do have a bonus point for you here, is that God's love came at a cost. And the cost was incredibly high. God's love came at a cost. During this Christmas season, and there's only a few days left that we get to celebrate, I want to ask each of you to take inventory of each one of the Advent messages that we've talked about. What it means that Christ brought us hope, that He brought us joy, that He brought us peace. And as we're learning today, that he brought us love. 
And I want you to remember that that is what the Christmas message is about. The Lord bringing us these things. You know, we celebrate by gift giving, right? We try to think of clever things that, that our spouse or our loved ones might want or need. And we try to bless them with it. I can think of no other blessing other than the fact that Christ came into this world. A hundred percent committed to you. And that he did it through his great love. The ultimate picture of love. And church, here's where I think things should turn upside down for us. Is we should ask ourselves that if we were to define the word love for our own lives, does our love show a portrait of Christ? Or does our love show a portrait of something else? And that is my bonus point for you today. We did all four. Does your life paint a picture of God's love? Does your life paint a picture of God's love? That's my final question that I'm going to ask you during this Advent season. And if the answer is yes, I commend you and I tell you to keep on painting that picture. If the answer is no, it's not my job to condemn you for that. But it is my job to remind you that if you claim the name of Christ... And if you call yourself a Christian, and if you one day will be before God Almighty in heaven, that you will need to be accountable for the way that you lived here on earth. The way that you used your time, your treasure, your talents, all the things that God has given you. And I know that God wants you to use your life to paint His image to this world, just like he did for you. Amen? So take this as a motivation, a motivation to get there, to do those kinds of things, to show the world how you define love, that you define love through Christ and nobody else. Let's pray. Father, I thank you so much for letting me finish on time. <laughs> I thank you ultimately, Lord, for your great love and that this Christmas message reminds us of that. It reminds us of the giving of so many things, your love, your joy, your peace, and the hope that we have in you. I thank you, Lord, that you loved us enough, that you loved us 100% to come into this world. And as I was reminded earlier this week through my son, I pray, Father, that we would shut off some of the noise in our life to be able to hear the things that you want to say to us. And that we would take these sacred moments to hear your voice reminding us that you love us and that you are calling us to love others. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This Christmas star that's going to happen tomorrow and the fact that it hasn't happened in 800 years. 800 years ago was the medieval times. Um, And I think that this is happening this year because we need a remembrance that Jesus is going to return and that to remind us to celebrate his birth. And when the shepherds saw the star, they also heard the angels speaking to them. So I would pray that each of you has an open ear to hear what God is trying to tell us this week as we celebrate Christmas. Would you stand and sing, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Amen. May each of you this week be a portrait of God's love in this world. And just as Mariana said earlier, that the Lord calls us to be a light to this world. Amen. And you know that this week literally represents not just spiritually, but visibly the darkest moments of our year. 
But Christ is a great light, and he's calling us to be a light in this world. Well, Merry Christmas to each of you, and may you go with the love of the Lord. We'll be here for you, for anybody that wants prayer, and hopefully we'll see you this upcoming Thursday for our Christmas Eve service. God bless each of you.